Maybe you didn't hear me. Maybe the church isn't really in session. I said we got to stop being fence setters. We got to stop putting George. You know what to say when we put it on George? You know what that means? Back in the World War II, they used to have an autopilot, and they call that George. And they said, when we get up and get everything smoothed out, we'll just put her on George and let him do the flying. Well, I believe the church a lot of times wants to just put it on George and let the Holy Spirit do it all. Well, it's time to get it off of George and get it down where God can do some things with people who have the anointing. God does not anoint seats. He doesn't anoint buildings. He anoints people. He anoints people, church. If you're looking for a church home, one where the Spirit of God has liberty, one where you can hear worship and praise come forth. One where we're not in any hurry to move out of the presence of God. One where the Word can come forth. And God says when the Word comes forth, not what man speaks, I'm telling you in this book is life and progression and you can have liberty in this thing and you can live and move and have your being in it and God the Holy Ghost will give you life through it. And it, once he does that, if you hear his word, he says, I'll confirm his word with signs and wonders. What does that mean? I mean, you're sitting in a church this morning to where the praises of God go forth. The word of God goes forth. And then we believe that after that, God heals bodies and delivers people. And he does them here. You don't have to wait for some evangelist. You don't have to wait for some evangelist to come into town. This is a place where God's doing a work. This is a filling station. And it's a repair station where you come in and put a tiger in your tank. You can get a tiger in your tank in this place. If you have a direction where you need from God, this is a place where you can come and be a part of a dynamic service where you can find not only direction for your life because God's got a plan for your life. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And not only that, but he'll help you to carry it out. There's a generation out there who's never seen the Holy Spirit move in power. Dynamic. He's never, there's a generation out there that's never seen the Word of God flow as the first century church saw it. But we see it here. I don't know about you, but I, I grew up in one. They knew that God could, but they never thought that He would for them. Never saw Him act in power. Never saw Him heal anybody. Never saw demons spoken to and come out of people. And then that sweet countenance that only comes with a soul that's delivered and free. Hallelujah. Praise God. I want you to repeat after me this morning. You need to get something in your spirit today. Hallelujah. I want you to repeat after. You know, a lot of people don't know. They think that all this is just paraphernalia. That when somebody says, repeat after me, and I don't, I don't think that should take place all the time, but I think it's valid. Sometimes we need to confess with our mouth what we want God to do in us. Sometimes we need to confess with our mouth. That's what we're teaching here on Wednesday night. What happens when a Christian opens their mouth? by the power that's in the tongue. You need to know what happens when you open your mouth, good or bad. So we want to make a confession today. I want you to say this with me. Why? Because your spirit and your soul need to have it fed in there. What you hear, your spirit will act upon and your soul will act upon. You put garbage in, you get garbage out. It's just like a computer. Say this after me. Say, today I will be preached the word of God. It will burrow deep into my soul and into my spirit. And after I've heard the word, which is God's word, as spoken through a clay vessel, I will never be the same. It will burrow deep. It will put forth shoots. It will grow and bear fruit in my life. 
Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise the Lord. TLC, you know what that is? Tender love and care. How many husbands know that your wives need TLC? How many wives know that your husbands need TLC? How many, how many of you know that you need TLC from God? God's not a bad God. We serve a good God. He's a loving God. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians, the book of 2 Thessalonians. Boy, I feel, I feel the Spirit of God in this place today. Hallelujah. 2 Thessalonians is about 60% through the New Testament. It's one of those that's kind of hard to find. I just, I just kind of look for it in the ands, you know, Corinthians and the Colossians and the Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Praise the Lord. Boy, there's a good spirit here today. I want to encourage you to, to just reach in today and let God speak to you. You, you are not here by chance. You are not here by a happenstance or a circumstance. You are here because God drew you to this place today. Praise the Lord. How many of this is your first time in Zoe Chapel Church? Praise God. Well, we just welcome you. How many haven't been here in a while? Well, glory to God. Good to, good to have you all back. You just depart. Now let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Second Thessalonians. Chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians 2, we're going to read the first 12 verses. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness and unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of truth that they might be saved. For all this cause God shall send them strong delusions that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Strong word, strong word of God. This chapter is unique in all of the canon of Scripture in its precise detailing of what is happening in our world today, what was happening in 2,000 years ago. This world is shaken today. Many of them don't know what to believe. These people didn't quite know what to believe. There was a confusion there. 
And Paul's purpose in writing this was to correct the false teaching of the day because some thought that that day of the Lord was already there. Now, when it refers to that day of the Lord, that means when Christ comes in power and, and authority to set up his kingdom and the things that are going to transpire just prior to him doing that, which we call the second advent or the second coming. He's already come the first time. How many of you know he came the first time 2,000 years ago clothed in a veil of flesh to endure and, and be able to feel with the infirmities that you feel and be touched with your infirmities? But the next time he comes, he's coming in power and glory. Hallelujah. He won't come as a babe the next time. He won't come with love only and withdrawing and holding and wooing the next time. Next time he's coming in power. All of those other things, but he's coming in power. And Paul was there trying to correct the false teaching. And that's one of the part of the message for us today. It's only part of it. And Paul was trying to enlighten. He was trying to make the scriptures become relevant and become contemporary. A lot of Christians carry their Bibles around with them under their arm and they never see that it's a Bible that speaks to their hearts this day, this moment, this hour, this moment, this second. It's a relative book. It's not a book that covers only in antiquity. It's a book that can speak to our heart. It'll rise you up in the morning and it'll send you out. It'll answer the questions of your life. It will give you purpose. It will give you substance. It will give you hope. It's a relative book for today. It is contemporary in everything that's ever said. Paul was trying to encourage them. And obviously, if he was trying to encourage them, some were discouraged. Have you ever seen a time when there's so many discouraged Christians? They don't have any victory. They don't have any hope. There's no joy. Used to, even in the world, 20 or 30 years ago, you could walk down the street and most everybody you saw, almost everybody, had a smile on their face. And if you saw somebody who had prune juice or pickle juice type of a frown on them, you thought, well, that's a weird looking person. And all the church people, most of them were happy and joyous. But now they're looking like the world. They're pressed down in the cares of the world and just got pressing in them and they don't have any hope and they don't have any victory and they don't have any hope in this world. And the Bible tells us if you don't have any hope in this world, you're just like the world. He was trying to encourage them. And besides that, he was trying to warn them. There's a warning that the Holy Ghost is giving unto the church today. He's saying to be on guard because there are antichrists. Sure, there's coming one, but he says there's antichrists that are already at work in the world because in verse 7 of this scripture, he said that the mystery of iniquity doth already work. You believe that? Well, if you don't, all you've got to do, honey, is just turn on your television set, flick on any channel, and you'll see it. Walk outside of your doors, and if you don't keep your eyes closed, you'll see it everywhere you look. The mystery of iniquity, it does already work. And 1 John 2.18 tells us, it's the last time ye have heard that Antichrist shall come. But he goes on to say, even now there are many Antichrists. Antichrist means simply nothing except that which is against God, which is opposite God, which is opposite the Scripture. Anything that's opposite good is of the Antichrist. 
Bible tells us that we ought to go around clothed ourselves in righteous garments and in garments that even worldly garments that have dignity to them and have purpose to them and are not too revealing and don't pump up the flesh. But everywhere I go, little girls are dressed in dresses that looks like they were painted on. I look out my window in the complex where I live and there's a pool down there and goodness knows every time I look at that thing, I look down there and I see bathing suits. They might not as well be wearing anything. The spirit of the Antichrist is at work in the world. You can't get a fair shake in the marketplace, in your job. You might as well stop forgetting about that unless you've got the power of the Holy Spirit working before you when you get there. A Christian who tries to get a fair shake in this world can forget it, but you can take this power that's in your tongue and you can create an environment where they'll promote you whether they want to or not. God will bless you. I don't care how many men are trying to curse you. God says, I bless those I bless and those that I curse, I curse. If you're willing to put up with all the junk of this world, you can do that. But if you're not, it's time for you to know who you are in God. God will teach you what you can do to come up out of your mess. And men, not, men might want to hold you down, but God says, I raise up who I want to, and I put down who I want to. I'm deeply involved in the affairs of men. So Paul was encouraging them, but he was also warning them. But this spirit of Antichrist was already at work in his time. And can I tell you, it's progressed forever. It is already at work today. And all we need to look around is because the world is starving for this kind of personality. In 1957, there was a man called Henry Spack. He was then Secretary General of NATO, which is the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. It is no more. It's been disbanded now because Russia is our friend now. And if you believe that one, there's some swamp land for sale over in Georgia. It was an enemy then, it's going to be an enemy now, it's going to be one of those who will come doing the works of Antichrist against God's people. The Bible declares it in Ezekiel. It says Russia will come down out of the northern parts, amalgamated and join with the others who will persecute God's people. But this man of NATO, he made this quote. Listen to this. This is the Secretary General of NATO in 1957. We don't want another committee. We have too many committees already. What we want is a man of sufficient stature to hold the allegiance of all the people and to lift us up out of the economic chaos into which we are sinking. Send us such a man and be he God or devil, we will receive him. And you think this man stands alone? Can I tell you that the hierarchy of the United States is saying the same thing? Every country in the world is saying the same thing. They're looking for one world leader who can pull all this mess together. And before very long, they're going to get it. Before very long. You see, because this little statement right here sounds just like Israel did when they said, give us a king. We want a king. We want to be respected among our peers. We want to be feared because of our fierceness of our army and our king that we're leading and who's leading us. We want that prestige in the world. We want that compatibility with the world. 
That's a national drawing in every nation is to have this sort of thing. And can I tell you also, this sounds just like the word that's coming out of the church hierarchy today. It's why we have to find a pocket in the body of Christ where the Lord still has liberty to move in his people, where when he says he'll do something, he'll do it. Men stand behind the pulpit every day and say the things of God that gives power no longer work. They stopped working 1,900 years ago when John died. If you want to be healed, you got to go to the best hospital and you get treatment there proportionate to how much you can afford. Bible still says that he's got pockets of people where he can say under the anointing of the Holy Spirit the minister or whoever's leading that can say in the name of Jesus I declare that you that God you can rise up and walk and be healed. We still got those kind of pockets of churches but they're hard to find. They're hard to find and they ought to be treasured like a pearl when we find them because they are. Because not every man has faith. Not every man has faith. And the church is sounding like this. Give us a stature. Let us look like something in the world. Let's don't make the world people mad. If we do, they won't fund our programs. Let's don't make them mad or they might just put us in jail. Isn't it interesting that the first place that Paul normally saw was the inside of a jail, not the inside of some governor's chamber. And there's coming that time again. But it says, don't be shaken. Hey, don't be shaken. God doesn't want us wondering about how we're going to get along in this world. And Paul is exhorting these people, don't be shaken in this thing. And his words come resounding back to you and me when we see a mystery of the iniquity working around us today. Don't be shaken. In your mind, God wants to give you a clear mind. Don't have to worry about going bananas, getting flaky. People aren't going to understand you as a Christian anyway. You're going to be a little bit weird. Why? First of all, God created you to be a little bit weird. You're not of this world anymore. Your mind doesn't think like the world thinks anymore. He doesn't want you to be shaken when the world tells you you can have one thing one way and God says you can have it another way because Ephesians 3.20 that Dr. Ferentino quoted earlier says you can have more than you can ask or think according to the power of God that works within you. You are not limited by what your mind even tells you. God can renew your mind and that's what we're doing today. Don't be shaken. Don't be troubled. Neither in your spirit, Paul goes on to say, by word or by letter. In other words, don't let anything that comes down the pike shake you. If you're the only one there, honey, if you know you've heard God, you just hang in there. Just grit your teeth, put a knot in your rope, and just put, grit your fingernails into that thing and just hold on to God. Hold on to God. And in verse 1 he says, I'm here to encourage you to hold on, to not be shaken in this thing. He said, by our gathering, this is his word there in verse 1. He says, be encouraged by our gathering together unto him. Our gathering together unto him. He was speaking to people who would have not been far removed from the tabernacle. And this was a tabernacle phrase. This was a temple phrase. He was speaking religiously and it's got a great import for us today. 
You see, Israel gathered around their own little denominational flag. Yes, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Nephilite. I am of Gad. I'm a Zebunite. Around the flag, and gathered around that flag. Yes, praise God, I'm a Baptist. Yes, I'm assembly of God. Church of God. Presbyterian. We know we're frozen and we're chosen because we never see anything move and we're proud of it. Our services are always dead. Denominational tags. Sometime the Spirit of God, when it rises up on you, that Spirit of David will be in you and you'll say, Glory to God! Hallelujah! If you haven't felt that, honey, you better just unloosen your corset and let it better go. Get loose in the Lord. Find you a place. Find you a church. Find you a situation. And if it's just you, you can just say, Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. It was a tabernacle phrase. We're gathering together around Him. And once a year, Israel came away from those denominational tribal tags and they gathered around that eastern door of the tabernacle in mass. And you couldn't tell one from the other. You couldn't tell who was of Benjamin. You couldn't tell who was of Gad. You couldn't tell the Baptist from the Assemblies of God, from the Episcopalian, from the Presbyterian. They all looked together because they were looked alike because they were gathered together around the door. Persecutions. Persecutions. Not good times will do that. <laughs> okay? I hate to break your bubble. Glory to God, you're going to go up to some time where the hard times are right there in your nose and it's going to look like a panoramic view around you in cinemascope and living color and you'll see everywhere you'll look, there'll be no way of escape. But we serve a God that says, I make a way when there is no way. <laughs> he can make a way where there appears to be no way at all. Glory to God. And tribulations and hard times bring us into this gathering together, forgetting about all that paraphernalia and junk that separates and to solidify ourselves and join around the personage of Jesus Christ. Why do you think every occult in the world. Man, they don't care how you look. They don't care about your economic status. They'll take one who's wealthy over one who's not. But their primal attack, the very thing that they attack time after time and only time after time is the personage of Jesus Christ. Who He is. Why? Because you can believe about God, Satan does that. You can believe there is a God and Satan knows that. But if you miss who his Christ was, you've missed it. You may be the best person in the world. There are a lot of wonderful atheists who wouldn't steal from you unless they had to. <laughs> Some Christians are the same way. There are a lot of agnostics. Don't even know if there's a God, but they're beautiful people. Would try never to harm. They keep a nice looking yard. Wouldn't think of, of doing their car work in their front yard. Everything's manicured. Their bank account is impeccable. But it doesn't make any difference because if you've got the wrong Christ, you've lost it all. 
Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. We've got to get this thing right. And Paul is speaking to us about this, to be gathered together around him. And tribulation does this, the hard times. You don't grow in good times. The best crops don't grow on the mountaintop. They grow in the bottom land. That's what people want to purchase is the bottom land. Why? Because that good stuff off the top all washes down the bottom and the sediments down there. All you got to do is just throw a seed over there and the thing goes and fruit bears out of it. When you're on the mountaintop, you won't hear God until you've gone through the valley. The valleys make you appreciate the mountaintops because there, it, there you learn who your friends are. There you learn how much economics work for you. There you learn what the Word of God will say for you and what it will do for you. It's there that you learn who you are in Christ. Who you learn who you are in Christ. And those persecutions and tribulations do that in your life. John 10, 9. John is talking to us through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying, I am the door. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. You see, Jesus is the catalyst. He's the one who puts all this thing together in our life and makes it work. He says, if any man, this whole thing, this whole Christian walk, everything that God can do for you is appropriated only if you will say, God, will you do this in my life? Please do this in my life. I bow, I ask you to do this in my life. We said many don't have because they don't ask. Or they ask amiss. But God wants to be involved in everything. If a man will ask, God, would that every man be saved? He doesn't want any loss. But everybody's not going to make it. Can I tell you, most people's not going to be making it? Hell's had to be enlarged. But yet Jesus says the way is narrow. And few there be that find the door into it. You can't do, you can't play this game about one foot in the world, one foot in the church. You just kind of sit on the fence because, hallelujah, John 3 says you can't do that. Just read it sometime. It'll tell you, you've you got to get off the fence, honey. You've got to get serious about this thing. Either God's going to have to be God or mammon's going to have to be mammon. We've got to get serious about this thing about who God is, so we don't be discouraged and be shaken because tough times are upon us. Can I tell you, tough times are not coming. They are here. Dollar doesn't go as far as it used to. Christians having to work two and three jobs just to make it, and that's not pleasing to God. The Word of God will change that in your life. Young people, the Word of God will give you direction. He'll tell you how you ought to go. You quit trying to lean to your own understanding about what you need to be doing in your life. You seek God. He'll give you that perfect direction. You say, well, if I ask him, he may send me to Africa. If I say, Lord, have your way in my life, he may send me to Ethiopia someplace. No, he won't. God will never send you any place that you don't want to go. Now, if he sends you there, you'll be just as happy as a pig in mud to go. He'll enable you to do that. Paul's exhorting them, and he's encouraging them. And John is encouraging, exhorting us. If any man shall go in or out, and he'll find pasture in the catalyst Jesus, if anybody will do that, they can go in and out. Now, this is a commerce term. This is a term for mine and your daily lives that we can reach into John and pull out, and you can put it into your life today, and it will fit perfectly into your circumstances. It'll fit perfectly. You can make it work for you. 
Because why? Because it's Deuteronomy 6 that's lifted out of the Old Testament where it says that you'll be blessed going in and you'll be blessed coming out. And when we get through Jesus on this side of the cross, then we get to Matthew 18, 18, where it says anything that you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Anything you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. And if you're willing not to bind or loose anything, or if you don't know that you can bind or loose, that that's a spiritual prayer and a spiritual truth for the New Testament believer, you just have to go ahead and take your lunch. Because it is a legal term. It is a, not a spiritual term. It is a legal term. And that is the only thing that heaven recognizes. And it's the only thing that Satan recognizes is legality. Satan doesn't realize and care one thing about how much you cry. He'll hurt the crier as fast as he'll hurt the laugher. Can I tell you, Jesus will have to do the same thing. He can't bless one who's hurting any more than he can bless one who's laughing. He only blesses those who work in proportion to what their covenant rights are. And Deuteronomy through the law says that you can be blessed as you go out and you can come in if you just keep the sacrifice. Take your lamb down and slit his throat. Let the priest present that blood. But when we get here, Jesus is God's perfect sacrifice. John looked on the riverbank and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And then he goes on to say, Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. You can have whatever you will believe God and confess and ask Him for. You can be compromised or you can walk in total victory and total happiness. When I learned that, when I learned that I, in my Christianity I was more than just saved with my home in heaven for eternity, which is the greatest thing this side of heaven. But when I learned that out of my mouth I could take spiritual authority, when I learned that Paul said our warfare is not carnal, but it's spiritual for the pulling down of strongholds. When that got out of my, in fact, they never taught me where I was, but when I got away from where I was and I got that out of my head and they taught me that and it got into my head through my hearing first and I started letting that just roll around and rattle around inside my head and then I thought I need to confess that and I started confessing and through the confession into my heart it went down and then what was in there just jailed around more and it came back out with more of abundance. And my life started changing in many areas that before I had been defeated in. Even though I was a blood-bought, card-carrying Christian, I now became a dynamic one who could, who could stand in spiritual warfare. And I'm not there alone. Many, many, many have already gone through that experience. Not as many as we'd like. Jesus is the catalyst. Whatever we bind on earth as we go in and we're gathering around Him, and then it says uh, we can't be shaken. Why? Because then we're ready for certain words that we never hear to start coming back in and reaffirming uh, in our spirit what John was saying to us and what Paul was saying to us and the other, other writers. Because then we start hearing words like epithania, epithania. In 1 John 3, 2, that means appearing. Appearing. He says, It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but when we know, we know that when he shall epithania or appear, we shall be like him. 
as I'm taking courage and functioning in who I am in God, then these words start coming back and I learn new words and they flood my soul and, and words like this epithania start speaking to me. I start looking forward to His appearing that the other Christian part of the world and the other uh, ignorant part of the world have no knowledge of. And you see, we ought to be like Him now. We ought to be just like Christ now because it says, when He shall epithania or appear, we shall be like Him. Well, we know that that's talking about the perfect transformation, but we ought to be just like Jesus now. Ooh, that's, that's presumptuous. That's, that's very presumptuous. Well, I wouldn't do that. That's, that's just not, that's not very deep in the Lord to do that. I would, I'd be afraid to say that. I'd be afraid not to say that. I'd be afraid not to say that I'm doing the things that Jesus said. He says, I'm going away. I want you to do exactly what I've done, and not only these, but greater things than this. Is that Word? Is that Bible? A lot of people choke on that. We ought to be doing the same works and greater works than Jesus did. Not better works, but greater works, more quantity. You can never improve on a total healing. You can never improve on a, on a total delivery, but you can have more of them. You can't get anybody any more saved than saved. But praise God, after they're saved, you can tell them what salvation means. It means an all-encompassing word that they can be everything that God wants them to be, that they've got victory in this life. Epiphania, at His appearing, that we ought to be testifying like Him. We ought to be healing like Him. We ought to be delivering people the same way He did. And yet a lot of Christians have never laid hands on the first person and spoken the Word of God into them. So it might not work. It's not your business to see where it works or not. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, if it, if it doesn't work, I might. If it worked okay, I'd go do it right now. But you see, if I did it and it didn't look, then, then I, I would look bad in the eyes of the people around me. Hey, uh, that's pride. You may lay hands on a thousand people and never see anything, but the thousand and first person may just come up seeing when they were blind or come up hearing when they were deaf or come up out of a, a wheelchair and walk. And the first time it makes all the other thousand worth it. Makes it worth it. But you won't have to wait for a thousand. Because you see, God moves with a baby. God moves with the young in him. God does things. He did things. Uh, when I first learned about who I was in Christ, about the power of his word, he did some of the most remarkable things I've ever seen. And some, sometime now, I have to get me out of the way before God can work. You see, the smarter you get, the more humble, the more in, in God you have to release yourself to himself. He'll still wink, wink a little bit at ignorance. You don't have to do it always right. Before you give a message in tongues, you don't have to wait for the whole thing. Just speak what you hear. God will take the rest of it. If you botch it up, who cares? Most of the time, you're not going to botch it. You're going to say exactly what God wants you to do because you don't talk like I do and I don't talk like you do. I talk with a southern accent and maybe you're from New England someplace. I don't know. But God uses us all. We have to use what we've got. Encouraged. We can be encouraged by works about like apocalypsis. Isn't that a good word? Apocalypsis? That means the broken veil. Sounds very theological, doesn't it? 
What it means is that we no longer shut out. There's no veil between us. He's the apocalypse of God. There's no more veil between us because that veil has been rent. We can now get into his glory. We can now see him in the fullness of his glory. As the, the prophet did when he looked, he says, I see God high and lifted up in his train, filling the temple. On this side of the cross, we've got that thing. This is what Peter, James, and John saw on the mountain of transfiguration, but in prefix time, because Jesus was still there, but they saw the veil already parted. And Jesus in his glory. Moses had a form of him because when he came down off the mountaintop, his face was so filled with the glory of God that, that the world of people who were not spiritual couldn't see him, couldn't look on him. You can look on God's face. He says, man can't look on God's face and live. That's right. But you die. You die. <laughs> You're already dead. You're already dead in Christ. If God wanted to, He could translate you right this moment, your earthly body with your blood and your bone and your flesh, and He could put you right into His throne room and you could walk right up and just look Him right in the face. How do I know that? Because there's already two people up there that way. There's already two people up there which, with flesh and blood and bone, and there's another person I know about who's only got flesh and bone. No blood. Jesus, his blood is in the, now in the, in the heavenly tabernacle. Apocalypse is that unveiling, and that's what Peter and James saw there on that mountaintop. This is the word of God that was revealed to them. Oh, catch the import. Jesus was the word made flesh and dwelt, and they saw him on that mountaintop unveiled in his glory in a prefiguration of what you and I are going to see. This is our present unveiling that broken veil. This is our present authority in the heavenlies. We are unveiled in the heavenlies. When the demon forces of hell look at you, they see you clothed and veiled in Jesus' glory. That's why they fear you. That's why they tremble at you, or should. They don't tremble at every Christian. Only, that's why Satan wants to keep you ignorant. Because he's scared to death. He's scared. He's petrified. And a believer who can learn who they are in Christ and get away from all the pettiness and all the junk and get serious about forgetting about where I'm going to have the home that costs $150,000 or have the, the place by the sea, which that's what I'd like to have, or have a place on a golf course, which I had at one time and was willing greatly to give it up for God. Had my dream house <laughs> right there where 318 holes came together. And when it came time to go, I walked away from that thing and says, Howdy, yo. Didn't even look back. I don't say that, you know, for anything to me. I'm just saying, when the heavenly things take on more import than the earthly things, your life becomes changed. Your vision becomes changed. Apocalypsis, the broken veil, is our assurance of victory. We sang that song this morning, Victory is Mine. We sing sometime, we don't even listen to what we're singing. We don't listen to what we, that we're singing a victory song this morning. A lot of people just said, I wish this thing would hurry up and get over with so I can just sit down. My feet are hurting. I'm tired. And all this is just junk. And it's just carrying on. And they keep doing it over and over and over. And I just love to sit down. And the person next to them is saying, Oh, glory to God. Victory is mine. Some of our live services were cut short, such as this one, by the recording technicians. 
sometime possibly because we moved into the altar service or maybe it was a technical glitch. I feel, however, that the content in offering these contains thoughts that are so good and deep and have meaning to encourage and inform the hearer. So with that in mind, be blessed by these teachings. This is Dr. West praying my blessings upon you in Jesus' name.